Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode is going to be a review of the 49ers game and a preview of the Broncos game. We're going to welcome in Sands with his expert opinions, and Justin Lacey is also going to come by to talk about the 49ers game and the state of the team right now. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Week 14 review San Francisco 49ers 26, Cincinnati Bengals 23. I know this one hurt. It's tough because we're in the race, we're fighting for playoff position. And in this game, we had that amazing comeback and then ultimately to be let down in the end by a loss. But understand this. This is what we wanted. We wanted to come into December with games that matter. Every game is like a playoff game right now. So although there's a little bit of disappointment, it's still a very exciting time because we're fighting for the playoffs. We're fighting to advance. We're fighting to show that we belong in this league. And remember... Come March, April, there's no Bengal games, so let's enjoy this right now. Yeah, the losses are going to sting. The wins are going to be even more glorious because it's such an important time. But either way, we have Bengal football right now, and we have Bengal football that matters right now. So let's enjoy it and have a good time and root this team on. All right, so let's go over some general observations. So first off, with six losses right now, we kind of only have one more loss to give. We have four games left, and they're four very tough games. So, you know, you don't really want to lose more than seven games. I mean, maybe if the AFC North all crashes and everybody loses a bunch of games, maybe we can end up losing two. But we need to go into the mindset of winning all four of these, or at worst, just dropping one of the games. It was nice to see the home crowd be so pumped up and vocal because the team is doing so well, and it's almost like the Joe Burrow effect, and we have a lot of loyal fans in Cincinnati. You can just see Bengals fandom hitting the highest it's ever hit. So everything crowd-wise, we're doing our job, we're helping this team. It can only contribute. And remember, once we get into this solid position of just competing every year and making the playoffs, the fans are going to be even more crazy, and we'll have that home field advantage. We'll be making noise on third and fourth down, just like we are now. All right, so on to this game. There's a few factors that come in right away. One, field position. It's a killer. It's a silent killer sometimes, but, I mean, giving the ball away on those two punt returns. We had a couple times where we started inside the 20 again on kickoff returns, and if you look at the field position battle, I don't know the exact numbers, but the 49ers had us big time, and that's what happened last game against the Chargers, and six points in the first half is just not enough to get it done, especially with this explosive offense you can't score no touchdowns in the first half and expect to be competitive and you know put all the pressure on your quarterback and your offense to try to make these comebacks in the second half. That's just not winning football. So we need to be a little more productive in the first half of these games. And ball security is a factor. I don't know what was going on this game. We obviously had the two Phillips fumbles. Stanley Morgan juggled that one kick return. Even Mixon fumbled on his first carry, grabbed it. Boyd had a fumble on one of his early catches. I don't know if it was nerves, a slippery football, just bad luck. It could have been any of those things. But either way, that's something that we have to be really conscious of moving forward. Just everybody, we have to stop the turnovers. We have to stop the sloppiness with the ball because we're playing well. The offense moves the ball. The defense stops people. You know, Those are the things that really matter. But if you can't hold on to the ball, you're going to lose games, unfortunately. The penalty on Von Bell was such a killer in this game, probably the biggest turning point in the game. But I'm not mad at Von Bell. 
yeah, he shouldn't have done it. He got called on a taunting penalty early in the year. And in this case, you know, you, you can't point at a defender and mock him as you're running by him after the play is over. You just can't do it. But Von Bell has enough good faith with me after the juju hit and the way he's a leader on this team and the way he brings it every down, his sure tackling. He's, a, he's an all-star caliber safety. So he made a mistake. You know he's never going to do that again. It did cost us. But now it's up to us to dig out of this hole and get past this bad moment. Darius Phillips, man, I don't know. I, I've been on him all year as a punt returner because of the way he goes side to side and he's catching balls awkwardly here and there. And I just felt it was a matter of time before something happened with him. And you know he feels bad. And I know all the Bengal fans are hating on him right now. He even put out something on social media taking full accountability. You saw him on the sideline. It wasn't just fun and games. Oh, I made a mistake. Oh, so what? The guy is really, really deeply hurt by it. And, it, you know, it did hurt the team. It could cost us a playoff berth. And while it was going on, when the second one happened, you know, I said out loud, I was like, he is never to return a punt for this organization again. And I don't have to be the one to say that. I don't think they're going to let him return any more punts. I don't know about his future in Cincinnati because he's so far down on the depth chart as a corner right now. And now he's lost his punt return job. I don't know what the future is going to hold. He is a very try-hard player, plays with a lot of fire, has done some good things in a Bengal uniform. But this was an unfortunate series in his career, and it's probably going to cost him. All right, let's move on to our superstar, all-world quarterback, Tom Brady. I, I mean, Joe Burrow. This guy is incredible. The clutch, the poise that he showed in the fourth quarter and overtime, he was just so on. He rose to the occasion. No moment is too big for this guy. We have to understand that as fans, this is going to lead to so many good things for this organization. That he's not just a great passer and a great leader, but when the pressure's on, he shines. That's going to be huge in the playoffs and ultimately the Super Bowl. He's playing with a dislocated finger. You couldn't tell the way he was slinging that ball all over the field. There were sharp throws. There were touch passes. Beautiful deep balls. And I'm going to go into the play on the 4th and 5 where he threw the touchdown to Chase. But that's the kind of play that legends are made of. That should have been the most highly decorated play of the week. That was incredible for him to get away from the rush, under pressure, rolling out to the sideline. A margin of a yard or so difference in where he put that ball. I mean, less than a yard. It was so precise and so perfect. I know I always rave about Joe Burrow, but man, we're seeing it on the field. This was a big, big time play. And you can put this team on his back. He's shown that. Get him the ball, no matter what the situation. Give him a little protection, and he's going to make things happen. The defense played well. I know they let up the drive at the end, and we had one touchdown drive that we let up in the beginning of the game. But they were given a short field a lot of the time, and they still produced. You're seeing us stop the run. You're seeing us be effective in most situations. Kittle was the only thing that we really couldn't stop this game. I know Ayuk had a few good plays, and you know some of the other guys made plays, but it was really all Kittle. And we tried everything that we could. That's what Coach Taylor said, and you saw it in the results. There was seven different guys that covered him. They tried linebackers. They tried safeties. They tried Flowers, who's a big corner. They tried bracketing him. They tried everything you could possibly try, and the guy just made plays. There's not much you can do about that. That's like Joe Burrow making plays. The 49ers couldn't stop him, and the 49ers had a guy that, unfortunately, we couldn't stop. 
and the 49ers were smart about it. They didn't really go to Kittle a lot early, and as I was watching the game, I'm like, watch the second half. They're going to start really unloading with him, and that's what they did. You saw it. He, he had a few plays in the first half, but mostly second half and overtime, he was deadly. What are you going to do? It happens. You know, covering tight ends is hard for anybody in this league. When you have an elite tight end, it's a major, major weapon. The 49ers have that. They leaned on it, and it ultimately led to them winning the game. All right, let's go on to some of the things that win and lose games. So you have the two-minute drill at the end of the first half, and then you have the first series or two at the beginning of the second half. So what happens inside of two minutes, we have that bomb to chase where he almost had the touchdown. Yeah, it did hit the ground, and it did move. Those are the rules. It was such an exciting play at the time. I know everybody out there must have been screaming. The fans were going nuts. I was just storming all over my apartment and, you know, in victory, like, Chase is back. Here we go. Unfortunately, that play didn't go our way. It led to a field goal. So we did score inside of two minutes. And then the 49ers get the ball. We stop them. And then there's the Darius Phillips fumble. And it turned it from a 10-6 game with us possibly driving to a 17-6 game, and now we're climbing out of a deep hole. So remember, scoring inside of two minutes is a way to win the game, and we got three there, and they got a big-time seven there. All right, so let's move on to the first drive of the second half. I'm not going to spend too much time on this because it was only three plays, and the play calling here, I know a lot of people are on Coach Taylor with the play calling. Aside from the overtime, maybe one run too many, and coming out, after halftime and not going to the pass right away, those might be a little questionable. But I think overall, he called a decent game, and he's been calling great games all year, and especially after halftime. So what do we do? First play out of the gate, mix and right for six yards. Looks like it's working. You know, good plan. Maybe they saw something again on that right side. Let's give a well-designed run to the right, and it did work. And then let's go mix in the other way. It was mix and left for one yard on the next play. So now we're on at a third and three. This is when you have to put the ball in Joe Burrow's hands. The way that he plays, the way that he was playing in this game, it was just the right call to make. We got a little clever, and we gave it to P. Ryan, thinking that we can catch them off guard. You know, they're thinking that P. Ryan's in there to block for Burrow, and then P. Ryan gets a hard-fought two yards, not enough, and we ended up punting. So really, when you think about it, there's a lot of factors that led to losing this game, but I would say the TD they scored before the half and us coming out on the opening drive of the second half and not doing anything, those are major contributors to having to dig out of a hole, and we couldn't quite dig out of that hole. It was encouraging, though. In the first half, the defense only let up 128 yards. It was 17 points, but 10 of those points were off turnovers. All right, so let's move on. Fourth quarter... We're down 14, and there is no quit on this team. This is the team that we wanted. We have clutch players who care, who fight till the end. There's no phoning it in. There's no sulking. This is what we need. This is how you become a championship team, and we showed that in the fourth quarter. Burrow took over the game. Just like I said at the top, just like a Tom Brady. It was just Burrow's game from that point. You give him the ball, it doesn't matter. We needed 14 points with about 10, 12 minutes to go, and he came through for us. In doing so, he had the beautiful deep out to Higgins, a nice sharp slant to Chase, and then you have that big fourth and five touchdown to Chase. And then the defense did its job. It got us the ball back after getting the ball with 437. So the Niners had the ball with four minutes to go, basically, 
A lot of teams can close you out in that four-minute drill, and the defense did its job. Flowers made a big tackle on Kittle to force that punt, so that was probably the biggest play of his Bengals' career up to this point. So we get the ball back. Coach Taylor is screaming at the refs to add more time on the clock. He gets 17 seconds added on to it and gave us plenty of time for Joe Burrow to do his thing. And when you think about that last drive that tied the game, we had the ball at the five-yard line and we're in the two-minute drill. He throws a dart to Higgins in traffic right before Bosa hits him. He does a sideline pass to Boyd as he's getting hit. I'm surprised the ball got out. It looked like his throwing motion got stopped before he completed it. And it's this huge pass to Boyd down the sideline, which really opened up that drive. And then you have a perfect touch pass to Chase for a 32-yard touchdown. Tie the game. The Niners get the ball back. We have the play where Von Bell almost strips him. It looks so close. In real time, it looked like a fumble. When you watched it, it was probably a fraction of a second away from him making a football move and it becoming a real fumble. So they they ruled it an incomplete pass. That was deadly because if that's a fumble, game over. And then Jesse Bates has the interception right in his hands and he couldn't pull it in. You know DBs, they don't have as good of hands as wide receivers. And, you know, sometimes when you're making a break on the ball, you don't expect the ball to to hit you in the hands like that. Should have made the play, let's not lie. And that would have ended the game there too. But those are the things that go into the game. Not every play is going to go your way. At least he was in position to make a great play, and it was a pass breakup. So the Niners get a chance to drive down the field and go for that winning field goal, and we get another lucky break with that miss. It was just like the Packers game. You know, I'm sitting there watching the game, and I'm like, it's over. You know, good good game. What do we, you know, that that depression sets in when you have when you know the game is lost. And then, boom, that kick just sails to the right. And it was like, we have new life. We're playing with momentum. There's no way we're losing this game. So we go to overtime. Joe Burrow leads us down the field with a beautiful pass to Higgins. And then you have Uzama catch that ball and the run after the catch, breaking tackles. It was reminiscent of the earlier games of the season where he won the game for us a couple times with big plays like that down the stretch. I thought he was going to break it for a second. And I'm like, we we have the field goal in the bag, but we're going to score a touchdown. And then, you know, we ran those two back-to-back running plays, and I know a lot of people were on the coaches the coaches for doing so. My opinion, you know, I, th- I think you do run it on first down there. Give yourself a little room. And then on second down, that's when you kind of open it up and let Burrow continue to do what he was doing. And then on third down, we were going to pass the ball, but Burrow gets sacked. So that was unfortunate. We have to go for the field goal. And then we know what happens from there. Kittle takes over. The Niners take it down the field. I didn't think they had enough to score. I, I was like, you know what? They're going to score a field goal. All right, how's a tie going to impact the division? I'm all thinking like that. And then Ayuk gets that great play down the sideline. We don't get him out of bounds. He makes the dive for the pylon. Great individual effort. And unfortunately, the Bengals lose the game. All right, so let's quickly review some key plays from the game. And I talked about most of them. But let's go to the first key play, and that was Phillips muffing that punt at the nine-minute mark in the first quarter. We shut down the Niners on the first drive. We shut down the Niners on the second drive. It was like, we're doing our job. These guys are not going to score anything off of us. And Phillips misjudges it. You know, he's, he's got his legs in the bad position, and he's lunging forward, and the ball just pops out, and it leads to a 3 nothing deficit. Next big play is that Debo rushing touchdown. Again, I didn't think they had it in him, but there he goes down the sideline. Joe Bocci took a bad angle, 
Von Bell and Jesse Bates kind of took bad angles, and there was a lineman downfield who kind of blocked two of our guys, and, you know, Samuel's got the size and the speed to get it done, and there it was, 10-3. The third big play, and probably the biggest play of the game, was when Phillips muffed the punt inside of two minutes, and that leads to the Bell penalty, and that ultimately leads to a 17-6 deficit that technically we would never climb out of. And it was the same thing. Phillips kind of had the yips on it. He catch he tries to catch it high off his body. It hits his shoulder pad, chest area, bounces on the ground. Total nightmare for us Bengal fans. All right, so let's move on to some of the positive plays. And the fourth key play was that fourth and five touchdown, the chase that legends are made of. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, superstars for years to come in this league. So what do we do? We have four wides. We have three guys off to the left, Chase by himself on the right. Burrow gets flushed out of the pocket. He avoids one rusher. He avoids a second rusher. He outruns a third rusher. He's rushing towards the sideline. Not much room before he goes out of bounds. Not much chance to get the ball that far downfield. And what does he do? A perfect, perfect pass into the tightest of windows. I would like to see the probability on that play being complete. It's probably less than 10%, probably even less than 5%. Just an amazing, heroic play. And then you have Chase make that catch, doing the tightrope down the end line, barely staying in bounds, guys all over the field, and he makes that great touchdown catch and put us right back in the game. The next big play was the tying touchdown to Chase. Again, four wides. That is my favorite formation. That's how they got the touchdown to Chase right before this. And what they did, instead of going three and one, they had two receivers on the left, two receivers on the right. You have Boyd in the slot doing an in just for some underneath help if, if Burrow doesn't like the up top. But Burrow loved the up top. It was a slant and go, and he just dropped that ball in. It had velocity. He got distance on it. It was The pass was traveled far in the air, and it was a thing of beauty. If you watch that ball, just this perfect spiral, perfectly on target, touchdown chase, tie the game. I don't know what else to say about how good these guys are. And the last key play, and I don't want to go too deeply into it, was Bates dropping the interception. I talked about it earlier. You make that play, game over, first place in the division. You don't make that play, now we're fighting. All right, on to some individual performances. We talked about Joe Burrow in detail, so we all know what kind of game he had and what kind of player that he is. Mixon had a rough game. He had a couple nice runs, but he had about three yards per carry, and I think most of that was due to us losing in the trenches. I don't think Mixon did anything differently than he normally does. We just had a rough time with that front of the Niners, and their linebackers played well. I think we should have involved Mixon more in the passing game. I don't know if they even got one pass off to Mixon, but that's been deadly. It works. We didn't really go to it at all, and I think that might have been something to try to attempt in this game to get things moving for him. P. Ryan, another tough effort by him, just doing everything you ask for a number two running back. And when you get him the ball, he fights and fights and fights to get the first down and extra yardage, and he always seems to produce for us. Jamar Chase, another great game. He had the early drop, didn't get in his head. He had a huge game after that, two touchdowns, almost three touchdowns. He gets that one ricochet catch because he's hustling and paying attention and not just running his route. Oh, I didn't get the ball. Let me just lazily finish my route. No, he's always, always hustling, always aware on that field. The sky is the limit for this guy. And I think we forget about the one play where we had the jet sweep. He gets stopped in the backfield. He rolls over the guy and keeps going for a you know, five, six-yard gain. 
that's the stuff that superstars are made out of. It's not just throwing up 100 yards every game and two touchdowns. He, this guy blocks. He hustles. He's aware. He's not selfish. And when you need him to make the big play, he's your guy. Higgins all over the field. Another 100-yard game for him. Three in a row. Just seems to make all the catches that you need over the middle, down the sideline. It seems like every pass to him is a 20-yarder. He's just really exploded, and I'm glad that he's having the kind of year that he had last year, and we can keep building on that. And we have three deadly weapons. Tyler Boyd, a good game. He went in there to return punts and bail us out. He had that huge catch, which led to the score late in the game. Burrow's security blanket, he's always there. You know, He's not getting as many targets as Chase or Higgins lately, but you know that you can rely on him. And when you get down to playoff time and stuff like that, Boyd is just going to make such a difference. So glad that we have him and so glad that he's being a team player and not being selfish and you know, not caring about getting the best stats, just caring about winning and being a leader. Uzama had a good game. Whenever he was called upon, he caught the ball. Yards after the catch, a tough runner out there. He breaks a lot of tackles. And again, in overtime, I thought he was breaking that for for the win. Offensive line, I I don't know what to say. They're, they're just not totally getting it done. I thought Adenogy struggled this game. I thought Jonah had a very good game. You could tell Riley Reef wasn't healthy, and he toughed it out for three quarters, maybe even a little longer than that, and then ultimately we had to pull him. I admire the fact that he went in there and fought, and he played a good game for the most part. And, you know, I always like to move on to the sacks just to see what happened. And when I watched it, it seemed like all the sacks happened in the second half. So the offensive line did its job in the first half, and then they kind of got worn down a little bit in the second half, and maybe there were some scheme changes by the Niners. Again, they have Bosa, who's an all-world pass rusher, and they have an excellent defensive line, and they have good schemes defensively. So that probably opened up the game and enabled them to get those sacks in the second half. So I counted four sacks. The first one was a sack, but it was nullified by a penalty. Reef got beat by Bosa. Then the first actual sack that was counted in the stats, Spain and Jonah got beat on the left side, and then Reef got beat late on the right side, and Reef's guy got the sack, but it was really caused by the pressure coming from the left. The next sack were in five wides. They have a free blitzer who just got there faster than Joe Burrow could get the ball off. Not much you can do about that, and really, I don't think anyone's fault on the offensive line. Some people may say an assignment error. When I rewatched it, it looked like every offensive lineman was blocking somebody, and then you know, a linebacker or a DB shoots in from the gap and, and gets Burrow. So then Reef goes out of the game, and Isaiah Prince gets beat for the fourth sack. Adenogy was beaten on that play too, but it was Prince's guy. And then Prince got beat on the final sack by Bosa in overtime, which was a big killer. You know, Prince is fighting in there. He's gaining valuable game experience. He's not horrible on a down-to-down basis, but you can't let up two sacks and two pressures in, in limited time. So not a great effort out of him. And I always say this, when you're a backup, and then you come into the game and there's a significant drop-off and you make plays that lose the game or help lose the game for us, you're not doing your job as a backup. I know these guys aren't the starters and they're not expected to play at the level of the starters, but you have to do your job when you're in there or else why why have you? All right, on to the defense. Ogunjobi, phenomenal game. Big sack in the fourth quarter. Big sack in overtime. Just anything you want out of this guy, he is doing. He's also playing at a Pro Bowl level, just like DJ Reader. 
Hendrickson gets that early sack in the game on a stunt, which was nice to see. You rarely see him go inside, and he just played it perfectly. What, nine consecutive games with a sack? Just the best free agent addition that we've ever had up to this point in the organization. And he's going against Trent Williams. He forces a hold on Williams. He was giving Williams all that he can handle. And you get some of these teams who think, all right, you know, Hendrickson, he's good, but he's not that good, until they face him and they realize, wow, this guy is one of the top pass rushers in the league. Cam Sample came in and continued to play well. As a rookie, he is just showing so much promise for the future, and he's going to be a solid player for us for years to come. He was the one who made the hit on the Bell penalty, so he really broke up that play. And then, of course, we got the penalty, and, you know, the rest is history there. But Sample is really doing his job in there. And B.J. Hill, five and a half sacks on the year, coming off the bench. A, a guy that, as I said, I didn't even know who he was until until he got here. He gets that huge sack in the fourth quarter. Just whenever you call upon him, he is doing his job. I hope they sign him for the long term. He is excellent to have in that rotation. And when you have Ogunjobi and Reeder, Tupo playing well, coming off the bench, and then you add in a B.J. Hill, that could be the best interior defensive line in the league at this point. I thought Pratt had a good game too, making good calls, being a leader on the defense, hustling. He drilled Kittle on that one play, making solid tackles. He did get beat a couple times. One of them was a clutch play to Kittle, but he's not the only one that couldn't defend Kittle, and he's not the only one in the league that's going to have problems defending against this guy. And Joe Bocci, you know, he's an example. He comes in as a backup, and he's not losing us games out there. Yeah, he's not Logan Wilson. But he's hustling out there. He's making big hits. He's decent in coverage. He had that early strip, but they blew the play dead. I, I think they blew the whistle a little early on that. So you take that and the bell strip later in the game, and those are two fumbles that really could have went our way that didn't. You know, it's it's a matter of when it's a game of inches. It's a game of milliseconds, I guess. And, you know, those plays didn't go our way. And Awuzie toughed it out. He had a great game as well. He finally comes out late in the game because his foot just couldn't handle it anymore. But when he was in there, you wouldn't even know that he was hurt. So he continues to have a great year. Eli Apple had another good game. And there was that play that they almost scored on. But I think it was his defense that helped the receiver not get two feet in bounds Because he was right on that. He almost hit the ball. He's all over the receiver without getting a penalty. Just a good play by him. We can say that that saved a TD. And Hilton, solid, hustling all over the field. Pretty good in coverage this game. On to the special teams. Two bad games in a row for our special teams unit. Coach Simmons is going to get that corrected. You know he will not stand for that. And McPherson had the one bad miss from 46 yards. So you can say, hey, that was the difference in the game. But he did have three big field goals and a couple clutch kicks. He had the one clutch field goal late. And even the extra point when it's 20-19 to and you're lining up for that extra point. There's a lot of pressure there. Even though it's just a short kick that you're expected to make, you know, if you get in your head, you could really blow a kick like that. And he was just ice cold and doing his job. So I I say a good game for McPherson despite that one miss. The Unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Justin Lacey. All right, we're here with Justin Lacey. Justin, how are you today? You know, the last couple of weeks have been very frustrating, but all in all, I'm still doing okay. Excellent. Good to hear. It's always good to check in with you on the psyche of the team and get a little positive word on where we're going to go from here. So after that disappointing loss to the 49ers, what are your thoughts on the team and how things are going right now? Well, over the, as a whole, 
I would like to, I'll just pretty much just say this because I know there's a lot of blame that can go around, but ultimately I looked at it, is that this was very inspiring football play to say the least, even in spite of the, the turnovers, uh, the muff punts and all that good stuff. And I say inspiring play just because, you know, not only that we're playing meaningful games in December, but that was also a moment where Burrow was having a signature moment in his career that could have really redefined Bengals football. And unfortunately, it didn't happen that way, but it's the NFL. Nothing is guaranteed. You guys just go out there and take it. They played their hearts out. Burrow was, he, honestly, I don't want to, you know, you know, write the story script too soon on his career, but what I saw from here from, from him uh, during the game was kind of borderline Hall of Fame worthy in the way that how he was very relentless and, you know, getting the Bengals to tie the game, hit it into overtime, and it was just very, very Hall of Fame worthy-like. Uh, that's how I feel about his career, too. I don't want to jump the gun on it, but he just, he really does have that it factor. Justin, what kind of message do you want to send out to the Bengal fans that are, you know, a lot, a lot of the fans are really down after this loss. A lot of the fans are really getting on the team and social media and the play calling and just various things. Do you have any words of encouragement for everyone? Well, it is going to be words of encouragement, but it's going to come off as criticism when I'm looking at the fan base directly. For starters, enough of the blaming Zach Taylor, blaming the play caller, all that good stuff. Look, this is the NFL. It happens. You got to understand this is the ultimate chess game against the other side of the coin too. Kyle Shanahan has had his series of letdowns as well too, being a 49ers head coach. But as a Bengals fan, we don't really process these things right away because we only care about our team and we want our team to win. But the feel sorry for me attitude because I'm a Bengals fan needs to stop. And I'm not going to be here to hold your hand through it. I'm going to be here to tell you that you what you should have what you witnessed on display during the 49ers game should have been inspiring football to you, too. We have a quarterback that can win you a ton of games like that, no matter what situation you're in. And when I look at the rest of the schedule, I honestly don't really feel – I don't panic at all. We just got to stop beating ourselves, obviously. But I don't panic at all. Even that game that's looming against the Chiefs coming here at home, I don't care because I also got my guy that I believe in so much – that this team, that he's going to take this team to levels that I don't think we've ever seen before. Hell, look at the throws that he made. The fourth and five throw that he just made, just purely just pure will, was just incredible to watch. I've never seen that before in uniform of a Bengals quarterback. I, I haven't seen that. Not from Carson Palmer, not from Andy Dalton. I don't really believe that they've done something like that before. So the message to the fans is get off the misery train. It's not worth it. We're playing meaningful games in December, and out of all of the teams in the AFC North, the Bengals, in my eyes, are the only team that is playing inspiring football. And speaking of the AFC North, how do you feel about us winning the division? How are you feeling about the other teams in the division? Oh, just simple. I was just asked this question. Who do you really trust in the AFC North? Good point. I mean, every team in the division has been up and down. You know, we've had our shares of up and downs too, but it just seems like we have a higher ceiling and more talent than the other teams. We do, and I'll also take it a step further. I'm going to go through each AFC North team, and I will count the wins for them that I felt were inspiring. I'm not going to count their ultimate wins. I'm just going to count the inspiring win. I'll start with the Baltimore Ravens. 
Okay, they had early in the season, they had a really good, inspiring win against the Chiefs, you know, where Lamar came down from a big deficit. And against Patrick Mahomes, that's not easy to do. So I'll give them that one inspiring win. But uh, so they had another inspiring win when they beat the Chargers 34-6 to in m and Bank Stadium. So I'll give them that. I mean, I, I, the rest of their wins I'll look at is I, they were they were very nail biters, and I don't really feel like that they were true inspiring wins because they easily could have lost those games too. And I mean, obviously, correct me if I'm wrong there. Uh, if you make and count any more, but those two are the only ones that jump out to me for the Baltimore Ravens that stand out. When I move over to Cleveland Browns, where is this inspiring win for the Cleveland Browns? Because I see a team that came in with a ton of expectations, and they have been falling short of those expectations. If you want to give their, their game against us when they came into Paul Brown Stadium and kind of lumped us a little bit there, okay, I'll give you that one win against us where we were still trying to figure out ourselves there for a bit, coming off of a bad loss against the Jets. But outside of that, where is your inspiring win, Cleveland? I don't see it. You don't have one. And if you're going to tell me your recent game against the Baltimore Ravens without Lamar Jackson, most of the game isn't inspiring win for you, you're out of your mind. Because you know, Cleveland fans, you should have lost that game too. Then when I go to Pittsburgh, I mean, Pittsburgh is Pittsburgh. I don't really see any inspiring wins at all. So I'm going to just put zero because that team is just in disarray. Obviously, credit to Mike Tomlin for trying to coach his way through this season. But then we get to Cincinnati. I count... We have a win, big-time win. I would not even give us week one as a win, a statement win at home, because that was a game that we were underdogs. No one really gave us a chance. They all thought we were going to just write the season off 0-1, Burrow coming off of an injury, and we made a statement week one. So that was kind of an inspiring win. I'll even give us week three and week 12, I believe, uh, when we played the Steelers. That's two dominating wins in pure dominating fashion that we've had. So that's already three. We've had a dominating win against the Baltimore Ravens. That's four inspiring wins. I'm not going to say Detroit, the Detroit game was a dominating win or the Ravens game was a, even though that dominating win was inspiring, even though it was inspiring, it feels good to win those games like that. But the, the, the feel good win against really good teams that they are going to be in the thick of it. That, that, that means something. And even in your losses, they were still in playing inspiring football outside of the Cleveland loss because that was just pure ugly. It's still in, they, there was still a lot of positive that you can take from the losses. So I got four big-time inspiring wins that I see from Cincinnati, and there's still more to come, potentially. So with that being said, I count the team that has the most inspiring wins, and that would be the Bengals. That's the team that I trust to win this division. I totally hear you on that, and you and I were talking before we started recording about how uninspired the Browns were and the Ravens were in that head-to-head key matchup. We certainly have, and and like I said before, if Cleveland sits there and wants to hang their hat on them beating the Ravens, luckily in lucky fashion, you know, it took... I just can't really do that. I, I, I can't really give Cleveland that, that win as, oh, I was very inspired by that win if I'm a Browns fan. I look at that Browns game, if I was a Browns fan, I'm looking at that game telling myself, I'm just glad we got the win. You know, we just needed the win. Well, you don't feel like a playoff team this year. It's not your year. It, it doesn't feel like that. And I'm not saying that to be a hater, like I'm a hater against the Cleveland Browns or any other team in the division. I'm saying that as a more realistic thinking approach because you have been playing uninspiring football, even in your W's, all year long. 
And at some point, that stuff is going to catch up to you. You can blame it on Baker Mayfield's injury all you want to. He was playing like that even before he got hurt. You can talk about, well, we lost Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt for a little bit. Okay, there's other teams that has zero running backs. Look at the Tennessee Titans. They have not had Derrick Henry since week eight, and they're still keeping themselves afloat. So don't where's the excuse, Browns fans? You don't have a big-time wide receiver? You had OBJ. You messed that up. Where's the inspiring win? You don't have a signature moment like that. You just don't. And you're not going to anytime soon. Because when I look at the horizon schedule for the Cleveland Browns, I really don't see I, I really don't see a playoff team that's coming to fruition in 2021. Maybe next year. And let's consider this. Of, of all the teams in the division, whether it's the Ravens, Browns, us, I doubt Pittsburgh has a chance, but... Out of all the teams to potentially win the division, it seems like we're going to have the best chance in the postseason if you know we were to move on. And honestly, that's what you want. That's that's the bigger message that we that I'm trying definitely want to send to the Bengals fans because that's exactly what you want. Again, definitely a frustrating game to, to miss a golden opportunity on still to get a big time win like that in the game against the 49ers and even against the Chargers too. But it's still laid out right in front of you because look at next week's horizon of schedule. You beat, you do your job and don't beat yourself. You beat the uh, the Broncos in Mile High Stadium. You take your business there. Look who the other opponents got to face. The Raiders are going into Cleveland, and I know the Raiders just took a shellacking by the Chiefs, but that they're a very Jekyll and Hyde team too, in which you don't know which Raiders team you're going to get. And I made a statement earlier in episodes where I feel like the Raiders are one of those teams that if they were to be in the AFC North, they will fit right in. They can play bully ball, and I think that they'll play bully ball against Cleveland and beat Cleveland. They have a great pass rusher, Max Crosby, in their own right. I get it. They got Miles Garrett, but Max Crosby, Yannick Ngakwe, they're no slouches of their own. And then the Ravens have to deal with Aaron Rodgers coming to town. So you, you get where I'm coming from, Bengals fans. It's not over. Now, again, we got to stop beating ourselves. I'm very critical of how this Bengals team has performed these last couple weeks because mistakes of their own right has cost them these last two games. But this is the National Football League. We're not the only ones beating ourselves. There are so many other teams doing it to themselves too. It's the microcosm of what's been going on all season long. Great stuff, Justin. How do people find you on social media? You can find me on Instagram. I will be on Twitter here soon. But Instagram is still how you can find me, Juddy13, J-U-T-T-Y-1-3. Week 15 preview, Cincinnati Bengals at Denver Broncos. First play, Higgins split out wide to the left. Uzama as the tight end on the left side. Mixon in the backfield. Boyd in the slot on the right. Chase all the way wide on the right. So you have three wide receivers, a tight end, and a running back. You send Boyd in motion from right to left. Ball snapped. Boyd does a quick out off of that. Seven-yard gain, easy completion. Get them thinking, wow, we have to cover the field horizontally, not just vertically. Second play, let's go with Mixon on this. Let's not just go three passes in a row to open up the game. Let's try to establish some clock. Let's test the run out, and let's have Mixon run right behind Quentin Spain. Third play, same exact thing as the first play. You send Boyd in motion, only this time you have Uzama just come out across the formation, across the middle of the field. Burrow hits him for a first down. Uzama breaks a tackle or two, 17-yard gain. Let's go, Broncos. I know you have a great defense, but we're just going to keep you guessing all day and just wait for Jamar Chase a little bit later. 
All right, so let's move on to some offensive strategy. You need to involve Mixon. You need to control the ball. I know the Broncos have a very, very solid defense. So you keep feeding Mixon, getting him going, controlling the clock, and get Mixon involved in the passing game. We totally got away from that against the Niners, and that was a big mistake. And I say let's run more to the left than to the right this game. Quentin Spain is probably the best run blocker on the team. Jonah's very good in space and hustles out there, gets active. Let's run Mixon left more than we run Mixon right. A big matchup is Tyler Boyd versus Kyle Fuller in the slot. I know Fuller's got a big name. He's not having the best of seasons. This could be a real big opportunity for a Tyler Boyd game. And if he's playing, test Sertan. Let's get Chase out there one-on-one with him. He's a rookie. Chase is a rookie. He's having a good year. I I think he had a concussion, so I don't know how fully he's going to be back. But let's get Jamar Chase going because I don't care how good the corners are playing. Chase can beat any corner in this league, and he's proven that. And let's go with the four wide receivers and occasionally five wide receivers. Get the Broncos into nickel and dime packages. Their base package is extremely good. I mean, so is their nickel and dime, but I think we'll have more success if we get a bunch of their linebackers off the field. Concerns? The Broncos are second in points allowed in the league, and I've seen a couple of their games, and their defense can be smothering. They cause turnovers. It's not a bunch of superstar players, but they just work together, excellent schemes, they do their job, and they shut down teams. Bradley Chubb is a big threat. Sertain and Darby are are good on the outside. Darby's a veteran. Justin Simmons is having a lights-out year again as safety, so you have to be aware of him. He can make big plays. You know, he's the kind of guy that'll get a big turnover and turn the game around. So I advise being aware of him and, when possible, stay away from him. Draymond Jones is having a good year on the inside defensively. So, again, not a lot of big names, but a lot of guys that are working together and playing well. The, the linebackers, you have Cooper, Browning, Young, Alexander Johnson. They're all playing solidly. And again, do you know any of these guys? I don't. But you can see when they play, it's a good unit. So we have our work cut out for us to score against this team. And I think we can. We have a great offense and a lot of weapons. You can't let it get too big for you. You have to be smart. You have to mix things up. You have to keep them guessing. A lot of pre-snap movement, a lot of motion. Get Chase isolated when you can. Involve Mixon as much as you can. Higgins is going to make his plays. This could be a Tyler Boyd game. Don't be afraid to throw to Uzama. I know I'm talking about everything and everybody, but this is how you have to approach it. You can't be one-dimensional. You can't be predictable, or else this defense is going to get you. All right, defensive strategy, just be stout against the run. Melvin Gordon had a very good week last year. You know, he's getting up there in age. He's a little hot and cold. Javante Williams as a backup is decent too, but if we can get those guys shut down, you're going to make Teddy Bridgewater have to win this game with his arm. And he's got the weapons outside to do it. I just question if he's the guy to really just march downfield with throwing the ball. So let's let's leave the, the game in Bridgewater's hands because I think that's the key to winning. As good of a year as he's having, we're going to have to help Mike Hilton in the slot against Judy because Judy's a great receiver with a lot of speed. So we can't just ignore that matchup and leave Hilton one-on-one on an island against this guy all game. Protect Joe Bocci. You know, he's not a starter. They're going to be targeting him. No offense, a decent tight end, but they can use the running backs out of the backfield. There's a lot they can do to attack him, and I think that they're going to be scheming up to attack him. So let's try to protect him as much as possible with some safety help, not leaving him too exposed as much as we can scheme-wise. 
and I'm not sure if Trey Hendrickson is going to play as of this recording. I hope that he does. But even if he does, he might be in a little bit of a limited basis. So I think one of the keys to that is having a big-time rotation at that defensive end. Let's get Khalid Kareem up. You're going to have Wyatt Ray in there. You're going to put Camp Sample out there. You're going to mix those three guys. Even B.J. Hill can kick out if you need. If Hendrickson's playing, you know, he becomes a major part of that mix. But let's just keep that rotation going on that side because that's the way you're, you're going to do it. If you just have one backup playing a bunch of snaps in there, they might get his tendencies and he might not be as effective. But if you just keep rotating guys in, you might have the element of surprise. Concerns, they have a very solid offensive line, so they can run block. They're going to give Bridgewater time and let him do his thing. You know, it's, it's up to him on how effective he's going to be, and it's up to our defensive backs how effective they're going to be. Judy's going to be a nightmare in the slot. Cortland Sutton is going to have a big game. Hopefully Awuzie is healthy, and hopefully Apple continues to play like he's playing because that's a big-time receiver. Tim Patrick's playing well for them, too. I mentioned the running backs, Gordon and Williams. You know, they can be hot and cold, but they can definitely get you if that offensive line's getting a big push. And Noah Fant, you know, kind of a big name, not having a great year, but if they isolate him on Bocce, that could be a concern as well. And lastly, special teams recommendations. There's not much I can say about strategizing as a special teams unit, but they're either going to bring up Trent Irwin or Trent Taylor to return punts this game. I don't think they're going to give it to Puka. I'd say let's go with Trent Taylor. He's returned more punts than Phillips, Puka Williams, and Trenton Irwin combined. I mean, I'd like to see Irwin come up and be active. He's one of my favorite guys. But let's let's make some use out of Trent Taylor. He's on the roster for a reason. Let's work him out all week returning punts. I want to see him catch 200 off the jugs machine leading up to this game and see what he can do in there. The key is we can't lose the field position battle again. And ultimately, we can't lose the turnover battle. But field position has been a killer these last two weeks. It has to shut down now, and it could start with effective special teams. Prediction for the game. The Bengals score two touchdowns, two field goals. It's tough sledding against that defense, but Burrow gets the job done. We stop Bridgewater. We stop Gordon. There's not much they do. They get two touchdowns, too, but one field goal. 2017 Bengals on our way to first place. Let's go. Big AFC win. We drop the Broncos out of the picture. We rise up into the picture. Baltimore loses to the Packers. The Browns have a rough time with the Raiders. We take charge of first place, and this whole nightmare against the Niners is forgotten. X's and O's with Sans. All right, we're here with Sans. Sans, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing, Frank? All right, my friend. I know that was a tough one to take yesterday, and I know you and I had a conversation about the Von Bell penalty, a little bit ticky-tack. Probably shouldn't have done it, but you know, a little bit of a sore, a little bit of a sore subject for us Bengal fans. But the thing I wanted to ask you most importantly was, why was the offense so ineffective in the first half? I I really feel like the Bengals sometimes not every game, but they like to kind of poke and prod their opponent and see what are you going to do when we motion what are you going to do when we give you this look etc etc over the first half and instead of attacking their weaknesses or trying to figure out what this team's doing and I think they didn't do this in pretty much any of the division games probably because they know those opponents really well but against other teams they keep doing this and it leads to these very slow starting first halves and sometimes you just can't overcome that 
um, especially the first quarter, it feels like at least. And it's nice that they can take advantage of everything the opponent does afterwards with the adjustments. But, I mean, I feel like there's a balance here between moving the ball and just testing the opponent to see how they'll react to things. So that was some of it. That run game really didn't get going almost at all. Yeah, I mean, they were trying to run quite a bit of stuff. They didn't really run a lot of their bread and butter, which is wide zone. They didn't run a lot of that until it was second and six on overtime. And uh, just another call that take the ball out of your quarterback's hands when he's hot. I don't know. I, I think they like to poke and prod the opponent. They like to figure out what they're doing. And that's why these second halves are so explosive. But they need to find a way to score at least just need to keep themselves in the game, which they did do in this game. They kept themselves in the game up and I mean, they're in the game, but they had a chance to take the lead at half before halftime, but Darius Phillips muffed the punt, his second muffed punt. I think the 49ers netted like a hundred yards on muffed punts yesterday. And also, I mean, I think the Phillips experiment should be done. Uh, the only field position he's ever flipped as a returner is for the opponent with these muffs. He's, he's averaging less per return than any of the guys that were just fair catch specialists. Brandon Tate or you know, Quan Cosby, Alex Erickson, they all were better return guys even without the muffs. So I think they got to look elsewhere. I hear you on that. It was a disappointing performance out of him. So that would be your main... I know a lot of people are criticizing the play calling. That would be your criticism of the play calling is it's more of a poke and prod as opposed to just making the wrong calls. Yeah, but then I think when you come out in the second half and your first three plays are runs and then a punt, you can start looking at the play calling a little bit as, okay, so you poked and prod the entire first half and your first three plays out of the half are going to be three straight runs. And if you run on third and three and it gets to fourth and one fourth and inches, if you don't go for that, what was the point in running on third and three? I mean, I just don't get it. I, I That issue, I, I took issue with the play calling. It's not so much in the first half. They're, they're running their stuff to kind of get a feel for their opponent. But you do that so that you can explode in the second half, and they didn't do anything till the fourth quarter. You can't poke and prod in the third quarter, which I don't even think they were doing. I just thought it was just very conservative play calling. And they're worried because the opponent has a Nick Vosa and they have an Eric Armstead and yada, yada. But you can't run three times in a row out of the half and punt. How cold do you want to have your quarterback be? By the time he gets the ball again, you have the 15 minutes from halftime. Uh, I don't think he touched the ball for the last minute or so, minute and a half of the second quarter because of the muff. By the time he gets the ball back, what, it's midway through the third quarter. He hasn't touched the ball since 30 minutes. So, I mean, he came out hot. Burrow, Burrow was hot once they started asking him to throw. But I I didn't get that series at all. And then in overtime, you take the ball out of your quarterback's hands and hand it off to Mixon on second and six. And he was 11 of 15 for 250 yards and two touchdowns just in the fourth quarter in overtime leading up to that point. And then he doesn't th- – doesn't attempt a pass because he was sacked so it doesn't count as a pass attempt on that final final three plays i i don't get it wow you know i didn't i didn't even think about the fact of burrow not throwing the ball for over a half hour of of time i mean that's that's an excellent observation sans let's move over to the defense so we obviously know that kittle is a great player and he was directly responsible for us losing this game 
has a blueprint been established by his performance? Uh, the Bengals struggle with tight ends like that, and I don't think that's something that's... I don't know if that's that repeatable, though, because they struggle with Darren Waller, and they struggle with Kittle, and they'll probably struggle with Kelsey in a couple weeks. But other than that, I don't think there's another tight end on that level. They didn't struggle with Firemuth, which <laughs> I don't think he was the best, next best tight end either. They didn't struggle with Mark Andrews. I mean, they they the guys right below this level, like Mark Andrews, they really haven't had much problems with. It's just these elite tight ends. And, I mean, Kittle's an anomaly. You can't put a cornerback over him because he'll block. I mean, you're, you'll be giving up seven yards of carry in the run game. But you put a linebacker or safety over him, then it's difficult uh, to cover him in the pass game. So, I don't know. I, I don't think this is that repeatable. But, yeah, if you have a George Kittle, a Darren Waller, a Travis Kelsey – that's probably a blueprint for success against this defense. Sands, how do you feel about going into the Broncos game? They need to win at least one more game, two more games maybe, before they play Cleveland. I really think the more I look at the schedule, Lamar is now dealing with an ankle sprain, I believe, but he was carted off. It has to be a pretty bad one, I would assume. So they're, they're I don't think they'll win a game without him but, because they're facing quality opponents green bay uh, los angeles rams they play pittsburgh again who they've struggled with they play the Bengals again who they struggled last time against so, and they don't even have marlon humphrey so there's a lot of issues with the ravens it feels like they need to win this game i don't think it knocks them out of the playoffs if they lose but man it would be real nice to have one more win and then you hopefully can catch the ravens without lamar and win that game you get two more wins. I just, I really feel like they're going to end up playing Cleveland, a win in your in situation week 18. It just feels like it's setting up that way. And it's in Cleveland too, which is an issue. I, I feel okay heading into the Broncos game. I feel like they should win. Playing in Denver is always an issue with the altitude and, and nobody else is used to it besides them. So there's issues there. Every time it feels like we get real down on this team, it, they pull out some big win, and I mean that's kind of what we're hoping for. Nothing else. Uh, nothing else we can do is just. Uh, I feel okay heading in. I feel like they should win. I don't know if they should win big, and I can definitely see them losing this game. But they're the better team, so just go out on Sunday and prove it. I hear you on that, my friend. I hope that that is the end result. Sands, how do people find you on social media? You can find me at Bengals underscore Sands on Twitter. FC North standings. The Bengals are currently in third place in the AFC North at 7-6. They trail the 8-5 Ravens, and they have the tiebreaker disadvantage against the Browns, who are also 7-6. That puts us in third place. And then you have the Steelers in last place at 6-6-1. The Bengals are currently the ninth seed in the AFC. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be a review of the Broncos game and a preview of the upcoming divisional matchup against the Baltimore Ravens. We're also going to welcome in some special guests as well. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. 
the unofficial Bengals podcast.